Hey, some time ago, I was in a conversation with my nephew, and the topic in front of us was military commands. He had just uh, enlisted in the Marines and was going through training. And so I always like to ask people this, could you do it? Could you pass the Marines physical fitness test? Uh, if you remember with me, there's three parts to it. There's push-ups and pull-ups. That's part one. Crunches and planks. That's part two. A one and a half mile timed run. Now, um, that's part three. So for males, you have to complete three pull-ups and 34 push-ups in a two-minute frame. Okay. Females, one pull-up, 15 push-ups. Same time frame, two minutes. Men have 13 minutes and 30 seconds to run one and a half miles. 13 minutes, 30 seconds. Females, 15 minutes. Same thing. For planks, both males and females must endure a 40-second plank, and both have to do, uh, within a two-minute time, 44 crunches. So I think of it this way. The Marine camp wants you to be in solid shape when you walk through the doors. And then beyond the physical, there are the commands. I remember asking my nephew, so how many commands do you, do you have to learn in the military? Here was his answer. A total of 82 82 commands. Some of them are straightforward. Tin hut means come to attention. Front salute means kind of what it sounds like. Your salute is to the front. Your right arm is raised. Your forearm placed at a 90 degree angle. You point to the temple. It's lowered and then repeated again, followed by an about turn and resume in your activity. How about fallout? Pretty simple. Troops face the commander to be dismissed. Fallout it's all pretty straightforward, but there, there are some commands that are really not so self-evident. If I were to order you to high port arms, what would you do? High port arms. Well, here your weapon is brought out to your front, held by the right hand on the small of the butt. And in this design, the butt and force dock are to simply be raised. High port arms. What if I ordered you to slant colors? In this case, colors, you would be carrying the American flag. Normally, you hold the flag straight in front of you. Here, you would slightly slant the flag to allow it entrance through a doorway. Then there's one I think that we actually all know. At ease. At ease. In this case, the soldier is permission to relax, knowing that it's safe to do so. There's no encroachment from the enemy. And it raises a question. I want you to think about this today. As Christian soldiers who have joined God in an all-out fight, an all-out war for souls. Is there ever a time when we might hear our commander say, at ease? Here, here's why I ask. Today we're going to re-enter chapter 8 of Daniel's narrative. I want you to remember with me that Daniel has been locked into a dream in which God has literally taken him behind the curtains of history to show Daniel the persecution that will be coming to the church, specifically during the time and reign of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. So as we, as we came to an end in our podcast this past week, we, we met Daniel at a place where in his human flesh, he's overwhelmed by what God shows him, so much so that he cries out, how long? He asks God, how long would this reign of terror be upon your church? He's asking for a reason. Last week, we used two words to capture that reason. The words were breaking point. I think we all have them. Uh, in whatever battles we face, we all finally reach a place where we cry out to God, how long? And what, what we're saying is, God, 
I cannot handle, I cannot handle anything else. No, no more. We're at a breaking point. We don't have the strength. We don't have the energy. We don't have the spiritual stamina to go on. Whatever we're up against, we just want it to stop. Daniel is, in essence, asking God, how, how long are you going to let this go on? Now, here's what I appreciate about the second half of Daniel chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 25 of chapter 8 today. And in these verses, God utilizes an angel, a supernatural being, to answer Daniel's question, how, how long? Now, listen to this. In the course of answering Daniel's question, the angel reveals the fact that part of our enemy's strategy in the spiritual war that we're a part of is that of discovering those in the church that are, are you ready for this military term? At ease. Here's what the second of Daniel has done for me. It's kind of stirred up the question. Again, is there ever a time in the battle for souls when our commander would say to me, or to you as his soldiers, at ease? Or does that kind of language actually fly in the face of the battle that's at hand? I'm going to say that in a different way. because I really want this to apply in a personal way to each one of us. So let me say it this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your sense of urgency for the lost in our world today? Given the fact that some of those lost include members of your own family, extended family, close social network. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to ask you to be brutally honest here. Not, not under the law, under grace, but nonetheless, I'm going to encourage you, do not overinflate your level of urgency. Instead, my hope is that you'll allow an angel to challenge you today. So one of the things that got me kind of thinking about this question of urgency is a book I, I recently read titled Leading Change. I don't know if you're familiar with the name John Cotter. Uh, he's a professor at Harvard Business School. He's been a New York Times bestseller a number of years. And, and I have to say that uh, Leading Change is a book that's not only one of his best, but I really think it's one of the best books on the market today for leaders uh, given the rapid pace of change in our world. Uh, now, while, while you find Cotter's research and principles written for the secular world of business, uh, I think there's not a doubt, but that they have very clear application for the church, as much as for each one of us personally, as followers of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. What Cotter observes is the simple truth that over the course of time, successful organizations Successful people tend to become content with the status quo. Rather than taking a posture that is externally focused, status quo means taking one that is more internally focused. In plain words, contentment with what is kills urgency. Cotter notes that complacent organizations and people fail to become aware of disruptors that are changing industry. They do not incessantly, as we should be, study their competition. They lack new initiatives that might allow them to capture opportunities brought about by market change. They are, Cotter says, filled with happy talk from senior management. Do you know any businesses like that? How about churches? What about well-meaning Christians? Lots of happy talk, no urgency. Allow me to become a little bit anecdotal here. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Penn Fraser Gillette. Penn 
is one part of the dynamic magician team, Penn and Teller. I'm told if you're ever in Las Vegas, they put on a show you will you will not want to miss. Yet, while Penn is best known for his amazing skills as a top-tier illusionist, he's actually becoming more well-known in evangelical circles today. And you might be asking why. Like, isn't Penn Gillette an atheist? Well, yeah, he is. In fact, Penn... Penn Jillette regularly speaks out against Christianity, against Christians, against the church. That said, he experienced an incident in 2010 that's kind of relevant to our topic of, of urgency. The incident occurred following one of Penn and Teller's shows in Vegas. And as Penn tells it, it was a Midwestern businessman that approached him following the show. His actions were simple. Yep. Penn would say profound to him, profound enough for Penn to remember them in the midst of the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people that approach him every night. The businessman complimented Penn on his performance, explaining how, you know what, he and his wife had traveled a long distance to take it in. Then, looking Penn in the eye, he said, I got something I want to give you. He reached into his coat pocket. He pulled out a brand new pocket New Testament, complete with the Psalms, a Gideon Bible. He had written in it, and he gave it to Penn and said, I just want you to know my wife and I pray every night. You'll always be in our prayers, and I hope that you'll have time to read this book. And he ended with these words. There's no illusions in it, just miracles. Following this incident, Penn went on to make a statement via a video blog that reverberates within the evangelical church to this moment. He said, and I'm directly quoting him, quote, if anyone believes that there truly is a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell and you think it's not really worth telling them about it i have no respect for you end quote wow i'm not sure how that hits you today but for me hearing that statement was like taking a punch in the gut here's why one word urgency I'm not sure I see it in most of the church world today. I see what Cotter would call an internally focused posture, i.e. there's more concern for programs, policies, and procedures than there often is for souls that will spend eternity apart from Jesus Christ. And you know what? Let's not simply restrict this truth to organizations. Instead, I hope that under grace we can recognize how this applies to each one of us as individual followers of Jesus as well. It's true, isn't it? How quickly we fall into complacency. We lack a sense of urgency for time with God and his word, for prayer as an act of spiritual warfare, for worship as a way of life, and for souls, both within our own families and without, which is what makes this word in Daniel so relevant today. I want to read a section of Daniel today. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 25. I want you to remember the setting with me. Daniel has just experienced a vision. Though he does not fully understand it, God is showing Daniel through prophetic imagery the future. God is taking Daniel on a journey through history, through a time when Babylon will fall to Persia, Persia will fall to Greece, and ultimately Greece will fall to Rome. Now, as this vision ends, Daniel's mind is swirling. He's trying to make sense of all the imagery that he's seen. I kind of think of it this way. When you dream, psychologists tell us your mind often uses symbols to depict physical or circumstantial realities that are part of your life. 
In the dream, your mind is trying to put together pieces of a puzzle that make up some aspect or dilemma in your life. Now, follow me on this. How often do you not wake up from your dream and say to yourself, what, what in the world was that crazy dream about? You can't figure it out. You remember the images or the puzzle pieces, but they're odd, they're strange. You, you can't put them together. You ever been there? If so, I think this section of Daniel will make sense to you. Da Daniel has experienced this ecstasy. He's felt as though God has lifted him up out of his body and taken him to a river in Persia, the Ulai River. He's experienced a scene in which an enormous goat has crashed into a two-horned ram. And as the vision comes to an end, Daniel's trying to make sense of it. What, what in the world? This is a goat. A ram. What am I witnessing? What is God showing me? So, so here's what God does for Daniel. He sends an interpreter, and the interpreter is, guess what? An, an angel. And not just any angel, but Gabriel, the archangel. So as you listen into these verses, Gabriel intends to place Daniel into another ecstatic state in which he will feel as though he's standing directly in front of the great archangel himself, who will explain to him the parts and pieces of the puzzle that God is showing him. So I just want to pray for wisdom, Lord, that you would guide us as we read this section of Daniel. This is Daniel chapter 8, verses 15 to 25. Here we go. It reads as follows. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there was one standing before me having the appearance of a man, and I, and I heard his voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called out, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he, Gabriel, came near where I stood. And, and when he came, I was frightened. Yeah, I think I would be too. I fell on my face, and he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place, of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands enigmas, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power he shall cause fearful destruction and he will succeed in what he does and he will destroy mighty men now catch these words who are here's our military term who are at ease he will destroy many who are at ease i want to make some observations here as the section begins verse 15 daniel is seeking understanding. The scripture says, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Now, I think the Aramaic word that's used here for understand is significant. The, the verb is bainah, bainah. Here's what it means. The verb is a relational verb. In other words, what Daniel is simply 
Seeking is not just head knowledge, not just I want to understand this, like it's a math equation. No, it's heart knowledge. He wants to understand the vision for the sake of relationship with God. So I, I would say it this way. If I were speaking to God, I'd say, God, show me what this means in order that I might live it out in relationship with you. There's an urgency in Daniel's desire to understand what God is showing him. And this urgency relates to his relationship with God as much as Daniel's desire to act on the vision for the sake of others. So, so what does Gabriel do? He places Daniel into an ecstatic state physically Daniel's in a deep sleep, yet in this state, Gabriel touches him. And ecstatically, Daniel feels like he's standing right in front of the angel who is to explain the dream. Now, I'm not going to get into the elements of the dream too deeply because over the last several weeks, we, we've taken some of the elements apart in our time together. In fact, if you haven't listened to the last four podcasts, I'll encourage you to go back through these. They, they really capture some of these elements. But here, here's what I, I want you to see and observe today. Verse 19, Gabriel makes clear to Daniel the fact that this vision that he has experienced has consequences related to the end of that time in which Israel will experience significant persecution under the Greek king Antiochus for the Epiphanes. Gabriel, in essence, is sharing good news with Daniel. He's saying, Daniel, God's not going to allow persecution the persecution that, that will erupt under Antiochus. He will not allow it to endure forever. He's going to bring it to an end. However, and, and this is what I want you to take note of, during the time of persecution, Antiochus, a mere puppet in the hand of our enemy Satan, will, go to verse 25, quote, destroy many who are, here are the words again, at ease. So what's Gabriel's point? saying, Daniel, here's what I need you to do. Make sure that Israel, my church, maintains at all times a sense of urgency. In the time of persecution to come, souls are at stake. The one thing that my church cannot afford is complacency. Get that? In some ways, I believe this scripture makes what we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, the persecution of the church, very relevant. I want to say it this way. This is a scripture that's yelling at the top of its lungs. The enemy is hunting for, will destroy those who are at ease. I think today as never before, there is a time for urgency in God's church. Souls are at stake. So, so let me come back to the question we asked at the top of our podcast today. Again, not under the law, but under the gospel. But let's ask the question on a scale of one to ten. How would you rate your own sense of urgency for those apart from Jesus today? Maybe even people in your own family, in your own life network. I'll let that question settle in for a minute. I'm going to observe, because I've asked a selected number of people this question over the last week, that sometimes we don't have a high degree of urgency, not in the church. Um, most of the people that I asked, seasoned, seasoned followers of Jesus, said something like this. I think I'm between a one and a four, my sense of urgency, with a distinction. M most said, inside of me, there really is a desire to be a 10, but I'm not. When I honestly examine myself, I function between a one 
and a 4. In other words, we can almost hear Penn ask us the question, do you actually believe that there's a hell and that people go there? Then why are you not pursuing people like me with a sense of urgency? Gabriel says, Daniel, in the last times, our enemy will destroy many who are at ease. So let's ask the question today. What, what would it look like to live with a greater sense of spiritual urgency in my life? Here, here's what I don't want to do. I don't, I don't want to throw out a cliche answer or a set of answers to that question. It's not what this post, podcast is meant to do. It's meant to be provocative, a provocative tool that helps each one of us ask questions, sometimes tough questions about the church or our own lives. So I really want to close this way with three questions meant to make us think about the level of spiritual urgency in our lives today. Here's question one. When's the last time you prayed for, I mean, really prayed for those people in your life that are outside a relationship with Jesus Christ? In some ways, I think I've come to believe this is where urgency begins. Urgency is not panic. It's not anxiety. In fact, it actually believes that whether I pray or not, God, the never resting missionary, is at work in the lives of those that I love. But something happens in prayer. In prayer, my heart unites with Jesus's. I, I actually begin to, to beat like his heart. When, when urgency is missing in my life, it's one of the first questions I ask myself. Am I honestly in prayer over people that I know are apart from him? Because yes, I do believe that there's a heaven and there is a hell. And I do believe that souls are at stake. Here's question two. Am I ready to go through the door? When God does open up a door, an opportunity to speak the gospel into the lives of those apart from him. Am I ready to go through the door? I think one of my favorite scriptures in the Revelation is found in chapter 3, verse 7. The scripture says, when God opens a door, no man can close it. Think about that. Oppositely, when God closes a door, no man can open it. I think there's sometimes just this sense inside of us that, that urgency means I have to kick the door down. That opening doors is what I do, but it's not. It's what God does. He does it a lot better than any of us can. Here, here's what urgency does mean. It means two things. It means watching for the doors that God is opening and being prepared to go through them. I've listened to Christians for years tell me, Luke, I'm just waiting, but a door has not yet opened. Sometimes I think we'll get to heaven and God's going to say, how, how wide open does a door have to be before you see it? Do I have to break it off its hinges? Now, I think what prevents us from seeing open doors is often fear on our part of what it might mean to enter in. I'll have people say things like this to me. I wouldn't know what to say. Or, but what if somebody asks me a question? I don't know the answer. Or, I don't want to be that, that lady or that guy who just comes across as judgmental. So, so maybe my best posture is silence. Well, no, so silence is not your best posture. And no, you, you don't have to have all the answers. To go through the door is to enter into a respectful, not judgmental, respectful dialogue with another. It's to posture oneself, not above, but beside another. It's to journey together into a word that is creative, a word that brings life, trusting that it is the spirit, not me, who brings life into a soul. Last question. Do I really trust the power of the word to create faith? You know, in Romans 10, Paul tells us that faith is born into a person through the hearing of the word. As you read through the New Testament epistles, you see Paul 
is a person who trusted that. I, I love the moment in Acts 17 when Paul stands on Mars Hill, that great rock, looking down into the Valley of Athens where the great philosophers, men like Seneca, would have gathered together. And instead of being intimidated or believing that he needed to polish up his rhetorical skills, Paul believed, and I mean really believed, that the word of the gospel was enough. It's enough to change hearts forever. As urgently as I want to live, it's always my prayer to God. Lead me away from any notion that I must somehow logically argue another into the faith. No, God calls us to simply trust the word as much as to share it with a degree of urgency in him. Well, that's all for this week. I want you to know it means a great deal to me. It really does to have you be a part of the God-sized family. I, I do. I just keep praying the podcast are a source of blessing to you that they stir up a spirit within you that calls all of us to a place in our, our life where we say, I, I refuse to live in those little places the world wants me to occupy. Over the next couple of weeks, our production team, i.e. those who help me put this podcast out, are going to be on vacation. So uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off, uh, but we will be back with new content on the 15th of August. Until then, I'm going to be praying for you. I ask that you keep me in your prayers as well. So until next time, my prayer is that you will have some God-sized weeks. Mm -hmm.